Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is reminding businesses of the Curb to Compost program, which allows businesses, restaurants to have food waste collection. And this is an important next step in your businesses or restaurants recycling program. You are tuned in to episode 187 of the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole with the rest of the world. I do enjoy beginning these podcasts with a quote from somebody a lot smarter than me. And here's the quote of the day. We do not have to become heroes overnight, just a step at a time meeting each thing that comes up, seeing it as not as dreadful as it appears, discovering that we have the strength to stare it down. And folks, that is by Eleanor Roosevelt. Each of our episodes are possible through the support of our sponsors. And today's sponsor is Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, which is announcing the new commercial Curb to Compost program for restaurants and other commercial food waste generators. And additional support comes from the Jackson Hole Marketplace. We're building badass sandos for breakfast and lunch every weekday. Online ordering is available using the Chow Now app or visiting jhmarketplace.com and coming soon on Uber Eats. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection, the place and space where I, Stefan Abrams, share with you the stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. Folks, I am very grateful for you tuning in today. Remember, this podcast is possible and has grown because people like yourselves share it with friends and provide us feedback. Go to our Facebook page, The Jackson Hole Connection, and give us some comments, some feedback of what you think about today's guest and past guests that you've listened to. And today's guest is Leslie Matson. She is the president of the Grand Teton National Park Foundation, which is an organization I guarantee you're going to enjoy learning about in this episode. Leslie first visited Jackson Hole in the late 80s. And guess what? Surprise! The next year, she was moving here to live. It only took a ski vacation to introduce Leslie to Jackson Hole. Leslie has held roles with several very impactful organizations here in the Valley. Over the 30 plus years she's been living here since that first ski trip. The work Leslie has been able to accomplish while working at the Grand Teton National Park Foundation is truly inspiring. And today, Leslie has some lessons for us all on how we can lead with trust and collaboration. Well, Leslie, thank you for joining me here at the Jackson Hole Connection. It's wonderful to spend some time with you today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to do this. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Leslie, let's have you start off by sharing where you grew up and how you landed here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and how long have you been here? Sure. Um, Well, I've been here 32 years and I came in 1988 on a ski vacation with two other couples and my then um, boyfriend, who's now my ex-husband. 
and we were all avid skiers. And um, I grew up skiing up at, Sh at Sugarloaf in Maine. I'm originally from Massachusetts, the North Shore of Massachusetts, where I lived and went to school, college there. And um, I was, I mean, I don't know, I wasn't, I guess I must have been 29. And we came out here on a ski vacation. It was St. Patrick's Day week. And um, it was dry and sunny when we got off the plane. And then it turned into a big powder week. And of course, as a New England skier, I didn't know how to ski powder. And that was frustrating. But of course, that's now my favorite thing to do on earth. So Nathan and I were riding up the Thunder Lift. This is my ex-husband. And he turned to me and said, I'm moving here. And um, I kind of laughed and said, we'll have a good life because, you know, New Englanders think that that's, this, that's the only place to be. And a year later, I was engaged and moving to Jackson, Wyoming. So, <laughs> um, and then I said to him, so that was 1990, November of 90, I said to him that I'd stay for one year. Um, we left all the wedding gifts and all that stuff back East at my parents' house and, um, 32 years later, here I am. We had some friends here. Nathan had a good friend who we went to college with here. So there were a couple of gals who I became friends with through him, through the Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, because he he ended up teaching skiing and still does. So anyway, and then there those two gals are still two of my best friends. Oh, super. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, I mean, I, um, it was a big transition for me. I mean, I laugh and I say I showed up in Jackson. I was married. I had no job, but I had a ton of Ann Taylor outfits. <laughs> you were ready to dress to be in the city. I was ready to be in the city. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I'm sure that transitioned fast to some. No, it totally did. I also, a funny thing that I remember is um, going mountain biking with this friend of mine, Jamie McIntosh, who, Nathan went to Colby College with, and um, we went mountain biking, you know, kind of covered in mud. And then it was a friend's birthday. And Jamie said, well, we've got to go to Calico. We've got to be there for our friend's birthday. And I said to her, I've got to go home and take a shower. I mean, I'm not going to go to a party with muddy clothes on. And I didn't, I didn't go home and take a shower. And I walked in, you know, we just walked in from mountain biking. And I think that's when I realized I had truly made the transition. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think another trans, an item of transition for me was when in the summer, I started keeping a pair of jeans and, you know, like a sweatshirt and a winter hat and a pair of gloves in the car. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> because you're out and just doing things in your somebody's house, you're outside. And next thing you know, it's cold. It gets cold outside in the summer. Right. Totally. And, and you're dressed. So you don't, Hey, you're socializing. You don't want it to be interrupted because you're cold. Yeah, no, I know. It's funny. Back in the old days, I mean, the, t the temperatures definitely have changed because when I first moved here, you know, you go to a barbecue in July with shorts and a T-shirt on. And like you said, by the time you left, you had to put on a puffy or whatever. It mm -hmm. is weird that it isn't as severe as it used to be. There aren't those drastic temperature changes like there were. But anyway. yeah, it's still pretty warm outside at night. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. You're, you're now at Grand Teton National Park Foundation. Correct. All right. And your role there is? I'm president of the organization. All right. Thank you for being president. <laughs> <laughs> What's been your, your progress to make it to being the president of the Grand Teton National Park Foundation? Because the, the people that are listening, especially the people that are listening who don't live here, that the foundation that you are leading is 
a remarkably influential and important organization in our community because we're so tightly connected to Grand Teton National Park. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very, very curious to hear your transition through career and how you've landed to be the president of this um, superb foundation. Yeah, thanks. Um, I've been really fortunate in Jackson uh, in terms of, you know, timing is everything in life. So, you know, after I realized I probably didn't need all those Ann Taylor suits and my background had been in university fundraising. So I had been director of development at a small college in Cambridge, Mass called Leslie College, L-E-S-L-E-Y. Um, and moved here, the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole was just starting. And one of the first things that they did was put together a list of all the nonprofits in Jackson Hole, which a friend had shared with me before I moved out here full time. So I, you know, got some letterhead with my name on it and basically, you know, branded myself as a consultant and used that Community Foundation of Jackson Hole list and sent out letters and basically saying, you know, I had experience in fundraising and um, moving to Jackson full time, would be looking for work. So I sent out probably about 50 letters before I came to Jackson. And that, that was one of the first things I did when I moved here was to reach out and connect with people. And I think that that experience was something that also made Jackson so different than someplace while well, I was living in Boston. If I had sent out 50 letters in Boston, trying to network and get to know people and look for a job, you know, maybe I would have gotten one or two appointments when I followed up. In this case, I don't I don't remember the ratio, but most everyone that I reached out to said, sure, come on in. Let's talk. Let's have a cup of coffee. Mm. Um, so, you know, people were just so welcoming and not that anybody really had any work uh, at that time, but I made a lot of early connections. So I did a bunch of consulting those first couple of years and um, made good friends, people who are still here in the community. Uh, you know, Len Carlman was uh, director of the Jackson Hole Conservation Alliance at the time. I remember sitting in his office, <laughs> him saying to me, well, I'd love to hire you, but we have no money to pay a consultant. Uh, anyway, so lots of meetings like that. And that did lead to some consulting work for various organizations. Uh, and at that time, um, the Jackson Hole Land Trust hired me to help do some work for them. I did some writing and some different things. And that opportunity led me to um, be hired as director of development at the land trust. So that was probably in 1992. And then about a year later, the woman uh, who was the executive director at the time uh, left and the board hired me to be the ED of the Jackson Hole Land Trust. So, you know, it was timing for me and, um, and just a great opportunity. And I did that position led that organization until to think about this 2004 uh, during a really cool time of the land trust. We did a big, huge campaign and I worked with incredible landowners. Um, You know, a lot of the original landowners who put conservation easements on their property. And then in 04, I got a call from um, a guy named Ed Riddell, who people know Ed, he's been in the Valley for a long time. And Ed, I knew well, and he was on the board of the Grand Teton National Park Foundation and said, I have a job. We, you know, he said, we have a job. And I said, okay, what's that? And he said, we're looking for a you know, someone to run this organization. We're going to build a visitor center in Grand Teton National Park. And, you know, could you, can we talk about it? And I said, well, first of all, I've never even heard of your organization. And secondly, I've just spent the entire 
career in Jackson eliminating home sites on land, why would I raise money to put a building in the national park? You know, it just seemed to me the, the alignment wasn't there. Well, if anyone knows Ed, they know he's an unbelievable salesman. And um, I took the position. And really, I think what motivated me was not just, you know, Grand Teton is amazing, but that this organization, nobody knew about it. So I could see real opportunity that folks would want to make a philanthropic investment in the park. And um, I just could see that this was a startup, you know, that it would be fun to run a startup and get it rolling. So I said yes. And I had a home office in the beginning and we had a, another half of an employee back in that time. So that's kind of how I landed in this position. So I've been so fortunate to have two amazing jobs uh, during my time here in Jackson. Beautiful story. <laughs> Thanks. Thank, thank you for sharing. Sure. And let's get deeper into Grand Teton National Park Foundation as far as why did, like, how did it get started? Like in, in, um, and now... To, to now what you all are doing, um, sure. because I, I remember when I first moved to town, what the visitor center was like, and mm -hmm. it you, you could tell it needed an upgrade. And um, I think a lot of people don't realize that the new, if I'm correct, please correct me, that visitor center that was built was done all through the foundation. Yeah, it was a public-private partnership. So we raised um, 14 million mm -hmm. and Craig Thomas, who was our senior senator at the time, was able to get an appropriation of eight and a half million. So it was truly a public-private partnership. But mm -hmm. the way Mary Scott, our superintendent at the time would describe it is that if the park service had done it on its own, it would have been a nice bathroom. So the, <laughs> oh, you know, the federal <laughs> investment leveraged the private investment, the private investment leveraged the federal investment. So the way Craig pitched it to his colleagues was, if we come up with this money, we're going to have an NGO that's going to, you know, at least match or increase what our investment is to make it the best it can be. So mm -hmm. you're right. I mean, the visitor center, when I was in first moved to Jackson, it was across the street. It was in that brown building. It had a few dead animals. It had a map. It had a tiny little bookstore. Um, and a really kind of stinky bathroom. And, you know, that's where locals went to get permits and that sort of thing. So um, that kind of leads to the story where you asked how it got, how it got started. Um, Jack Nichols, who's the superintendent, was the superintendent of Grand Teton at the time, really wanted a new visitor center to be, you know, at the level of which this park is, you know, really deserves something more special and for visitors to really get oriented before they entered the park. So Jack approached a guy named Jerry Halpin, who, um, wonderful man, who was the founding chair of the board of Grand Teton National Park Foundation, because Jerry had done some work in the D.C. area raising money for the national parks there. And he had developed Tyson's Corner in the DC area. And then he owned Lost Creek Ranch here in Jackson. So um, Jack approached Jerry and they had um, a meeting and Jack expressed his interest in trying to get a nonprofit going. So Jerry reached out and got a number of um, folks to come to a meeting, first meeting of the organization before it was really founded. And that was folks like Clay and Shay James, Clay was the um, GM of the Lodge Company at the time. Bob and Nancy Jaycox, they owned the McDonald's in Jackson. 
Ed and Lee Riddell, who I mentioned, the Riddells, Brad and Kate Mead. Uh, and so these this group of people and, and gathered them together and basically said, do we think we should do this, start an organization and, and raise money for a new visitor center? And that's how it started. So um, before I was hired in 04, the board had been working with the Park Service on where the location of the visitor center would be. Craig was working to get the appropriation uh, on the Senate side. And then, oh, another person who was there in the early days is Rob Wallace, who still lives here and um, is an amazing guy. And he helped too with some of the work to get the appropriation. So um, by the time they recruited me, they had the federal money uh, in, not in hand, but agreed to. So the next phase was to kick off a campaign to build a new visitor center. Mm-hmm. And so they, the board also, you know, with, really without any staff leadership, had done a national search for an architect and the folks who did the exhibit. So what was cool for me is I walked in and they had the site located. They had the, all the sketches for the visitor center. But what they needed was leadership to raise the money. So that's what I did. And you did it well. Yeah, it was fun. It was really fun. You know, working with the Park Service, it was all new for me. Mary Scott was the superintendent at the time, and she and I started within a month of each other. So she started in May of 04, I think, and I started in July. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, working with the Park Service, um, and I'm not saying anything out of school because I say this to them, you know, it can be challenging. So we basically were building a building with the federal government. And, you know, we had to figure out how to work together and uh, we, we made it happen. I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't without its challenges at times, but it certainly uh, worked out great. I mean, they were so, so supportive, the Park Service folks, like they put a couple of um, picnic tables out on the site before they even put a shovel in the ground and kind of designed a trail footpath so that we could park uh, where the post office is and walk across the street and I'd have the sketches and share that with folks. And then, you know, then they started working on the building we had all these hard hat tours. And then there got to be a point where when we started bringing on people tours of the building, like, well, I don't need these sketches anymore. I can throw these things away because we're Mm. like standing in the structure. So it was really fun. It was a fun time. And who now manages that building? The park service owns it Uh um, and they manage and operate it. Okay. And so now that the Park Service owns it, so what is Grand Teton National Park Foundation's role now? Yeah, good question. So back in 07, so we kicked off the campaign in 04, raised the money, and then in 07, the building was open to the public. Um, in the spring of 07, we, uh, the organization, our organization had kicked off our first long-range planning process. So what we saw was this um, change from the park staff and folks who weren't involved in the building project, kind of just watching and not being a part of what we were doing because we were so singularly focused on the visitor center. So when we had this long range planning session, we basically brought in all the chiefs from all the departments to talk about where private philanthropy could be helpful in their areas. So it was this cool transformation where people weren't really paying attention. Then all of a sudden we presented, um, you know, with the park service, this beautiful building that was done with, you know, a majority of it funded through private gifts. So everybody in the park was like, yeah, well, okay, I have some cool projects that I could get some help with. So we had our first long range planning effort in 07 and that identified 
the projects that we worked on for the next few years. And that included things like Jenny Lake, you know, the whole, the transformation that's been out at Jenny Lake, which was our gift to the Park Service for their 100th anniversary in 2016, to expansion of um, youth programs that we do or that we fund, the park executes them. So we have five different youth programs, uh, including working on trails, kids working on trails ages 16 to 19. And we've really um, focused on engagement of diverse communities. So we have a wonderful program called Pura Vida uh, for our middle school Latino kids here in Jackson. We also have a tribal youth program working with the Wind River Reservation. So, I mean, I could go on and on about those. So that first long-range plan identified projects for our organization. And then in 2016, we did another long-range plan, which we're just ending. And literally this year, we're kicking off uh, the third plan that I've been involved with since I've been at the foundation for, you know, what are the projects for the next five years and kind of a longer 10-year vision. So it's plenty of work, uh, plenty of things to do in Grand Teton. And um, we have such a collaborative, wonderful partnership with our with the Park Service and our new superintendent, Chip Jenkins, and his team. So it's really, it's a really cool uh, model. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Now, L- Leslie, this is a, a big impact. And do... Other parks have, do they have this type of model working relationship where they have a foundation, which is helping them fill the gaps where the funding sources from the government are, are lacking a little bit? Yeah, there's 150 friends groups. That's what our, we call ourselves friends groups. There's 150 Mm -hmm. of them in the country. And, you know, there's about 400 national park units. So not every park has a foundation or a friends group. So um, of those 150, there's probably 10, I would say, that are um, at at the level that we are, meaning the the amount of dollars that we bring in or that we're able to add to the park to bring extra special projects. And I guess I would just say in description of what we do, you know, our money is for extra special stuff. So we're not going to fill the gap. We're not going to start paying for operations for the park service. You know, we want our our folks in D.C. to fund the parks at the level at which they should be funded. Mm-hmm. Uh, make up, you know, but we don't want any, anyone in D.C. to say, oh, well, they've got the Grand Teton Foundation out there. So we're going to cut CHIP's budget and let them fund that. So our money is for extra special things. So there's about 10 of us probably that are raising significant dollars. I think all of the friends groups bring, you know, enhancements to their parks. I think the thing for our organization that's so unique and that I'm really proud of is it's not just the money because we've gifted to Grand Teton in 25 years, $84 million. $84 million in 25 yeah. years. Wow. Yeah. I know it's cool because this is our 25th reunion, 25th anniversary. So I've been, we're looking backwards and tallying things up. And, you know, so anyway, we just literally calculated that a few weeks ago, but um, so the money is significant and obviously does amazing things, but this partnership that I described with the superintendent and his team, you know, it's authentic, it's um, transparent you know, we're very uh, direct with each other and honest. So, you know, these projects that we identify together, you know, the park doesn't come to us and say, oh, could you do this? Could you write us a check for this? And we don't say to them, oh, we want to do this. 
So it's very collaborative. And so in this long range planning process that we're in now, you know, the park's at the table with us. So it's our board, our resource council, my team and park service uh, leadership. So it's really collaborative. I think that's the thing that um, our organization does that's really exciting and perhaps a little different than some of the other friends groups. I, I want to get more into that, the collaboration. Um, before we do, we need to take a quick break to get a word from a sponsor. And we're going to come back and continue this interesting conversation. Okay. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is excited to announce the start of the new Curb to Compost program for restaurants and other commercial food waste generators. Recycling food waste by composting has many benefits to your business and the Jackson Hole environment. To discuss details about the Food Waste Compost Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov recycle and join today. Leslie, welcome back. I'm enjoying learning about the Grand Teton National Park Foundation and some of the aspects that makes your foundation unique compared to others. And you had just mentioned collaboration. Mm -hmm. And tell me why you feel the collaboration is where it is between your organization and the part which you all help support. Why why is that so different here compared to other with other organizations and other parks? Yeah, I think it starts with leadership. Um, and we've had, I've now worked with three superintendents during my tenure in this position. So as I mentioned, you know, Mary Scott, who was the superintendent of Grand Teton when I first started in 04, we started within a couple months of each other. And um, you know, the leaders that the Park Service cho chooses for the, the superintendency. You know, it's a high level park. It's a senior executive service park. So, you know, the folks who come here are smart, dedicated, entrepreneurial. So, you know, starting with Mary and our success at the visitor center, you know, we could see that there was a lot of opportunity and Mary liked to get stuff done. Hmm. So, you know, we really aligned in that way. And she was there for 10 years, you know, which is a, quite a long tenure for a park superintendent. And that was wonderful because we could get so much done in 10 years. Um, and then, of course, our next superintendent was um, David Vela, who, who was with us for five years. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of you meet somebody, they've been chosen to lead an organization. And I'm like, well, hi, you know, we need to be best friends. And um, David is a wonderful, warm human being and uh, a delight, as is his wife. And we spent a lot of time together. I mean, David and Melissa got on airplanes and came with me to do donor visits and, and events. And he just was all in in terms of the work that we did. And again, really collaborative and 
trustworthy. You know, we could tell each other stuff and really um, both knew what our what our roles were and the mission of our two organizations and what the overlap was. And then, you know, Chip Jenkins came along and he started a, a year ago in January. So he's been there about a year and a half. And same thing, you know, it's like, well, hi, how are you? Yeah, so we have to be best friends because we're going to make this work. And, you know, one of the reasons he took the job, he said, was because of the foundation and the work uh, that mm. we able to do. And he's also a great collaborator. And yet again, a guy who said, okay, yep, I'll come with you. I'll get on a plane. We'll go see our support, see your supporters. And I can talk to them about my vision for Grand Teton and how important their involvement is. So just the folks being willing and understanding the work that we do and that it's personal and it's based on relationships and, um, you know, folks that like to meet new people and share their vision and share their passion for Grand Teton. So, you know, it's, um, it's taken years of work. And I just think, you know, the, the reason we're so successful is, this collaborative environment and really great team in Grand Teton. You know, there's a wonderful woman named Vicki Mates who's been chief of interpretation and partnerships. And she's been our primary contact in Grand Teton. And she's actually leaving the park service um, in about a month. And, you know, Vicki has been amazing to help us with some of the challenges that we face as a nonprofit. Sometimes you just have to kind of wind your way through the federal government and to try to get stuff done. And she's kind of the person who's taken our hand and helped us mm. wind your way through some of these challenges. Cause it's, you know, there's regulatory issues and we've got to follow all those rules, but you know, if you want to do something cool and exciting, sometimes it's stuff that's never been done in the park service before. So we've been in that position a few times and Vicki has helped get us through that. I I'm very curious when you say collaboration, and trustworthy. Does that mean that you always get along and have the same view that there that there are disagreements, but you find ways to work through it? And how how do you do that? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I guess my style is I'm really direct, you know. So I'm not going to be the person that's afraid to say the hard thing to our partner because I don't want them to like me, or I think they might badmouth me. Or, you know, so I, for me, it's always been, let's just be direct. Here's the issue. You know, here's the problem. And then luckily on the park service side, they also have been able to be transparent with me and on my team, my vice president, Mark Berry, who does all of our project management so that they tell us the reason why something can't happen. So we can problem solve and say, okay, so the park service doesn't do allow their nonprofit partners to do a lot of direct contracting, meaning in the past, like for the visitor center, we gave the park service the funding for the visitor center and they hired the contractor. So over the, over the years, we have been in a position now where we'll do some direct contracting for some piece of the project based on efficiencies and other, um, in other areas. And then Mark, who has a background in con construction and contracting, is a person who oversees that contract. So getting to a point like that, where everybody understands that we are responsible and can do that and are trustworthy, that's what I mean. We've evolved over time. 
Um, so I think it's just the ability to be direct and to know what our roles are. I think from my early learning in this job, when I understood what Mary Scott, what her, her version of success was for her and for the park, which was maybe different than my version of success because of our, you know, we're a fundraising organization. Mm -hmm. So it's dollars and it's, you know, all of that stuff. So when I could understand that, that allowed the relationship to be closer. And then I think the other thing was for the park service to understand our business so both you know Mary and David and Chip all understand the fundraising business because we explained it to them. And certainly our partner Vicki Mates has too. So, you know, I think sometimes people think, oh, well, Leslie's just going to go to lunch with somebody and she'll come back with a million dollars. Well, you know, that's years worth of relationship building with someone to make a gift at that level and to make an investment. So that it's not just, you know, I open up my drawer and my desk and I've got buckets of money there. Hmm. So, you know, understanding everybody's roles and what their lanes are as they, as people say now, I think has been part of it. Now, how would you distill that down for people listening for just everyday life in personal life and in business? Because I, I see you being very successful in your collaboration, your communication method. And I certainly value what you just said that you're just direct. And what would you say to people for using distilling this down into everyday life, how it could help them? I guess not, not being afraid to speak the truth, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't that kind of a lot of what we is the vernacular that people are using these days, but you know, if I'm unhappy or I'm frustrated or whatever, to be able to say, you know, whether it's to the folks in the park or to my partner or my friends or my colleagues, like I'm a little frustrated by this and I don't really understand why it has to be this way. Help me better understand this or what I can do better to help you get to X, Y, or Z. I mean, I think there's so much, especially in business and in the world of sitting on boards and working with partners, you know, it just get to the point. Like, what is it we need to do to get to figure out how to make this happen? And that's what we do. That's why when I say Mary Scott liked to get stuff done, and so did I, you know, we, we figured it out. Would you say your method, even getting to the point, mm -hmm. but your method is still help me understand you and your position where you're coming from versus taking an accusatory position? Yeah, for sure. I mean, mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, the good thing with our partners, we're all sitting around and we all care deeply for Grand Teton. So we mm -hmm. all want to get the end result is how can we make this the best it can be for the park? So, you know, that's easy when you have a common mission and everybody wants the same thing, but we're all trying to figure out how to get there because there's regulations or there's issues or there's timing or whatever it is. And we're trying to, uh, we need to understand the timing on our end and what we need to do. I mean, I think, the common mission and passion really helps us get the work done. Well, thank you for the big impact that you all are making to our park. The work that's been done at Jenny Lake is just beautiful. And I could not imagine our community receiving the number of visitors and the park receiving the number of visitors that we do without that visitor center. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we're really proud of the visitor center. And every time I go in there, 
Um, you know, I'm so proud of the Park Service. They take such beautiful care of it. It's always meticulous and clean and gorgeous. And um, the Jenny Lake <laughs> project, I think Mark Barry and I hiked at Jenny Lake, you know, 200 times um, with folks who were considering supporting the, the project. So it was fun to watch the transition there over the years. Uh, that was an amazing project to be a part of, for sure. You, you all have done well. And I look forward to learning as time passes what your next big project is as well. Yeah, there's a lot of cool things on the horizon for sure. You know, another big trail project probably. And, um, you know, there's a piece of one more piece of state land in Grand Teton, the Kelly school section. So that's something we're really interested in making sure gets into the park's hands and some really interesting wildlife research that's going on in the park. And um, I think our, our programs for youth engagement are um, a model for youth engagement in the park service across the country. It's really, we're doing really interesting and impactful things. It's great to have youth in there. We, my family and I just recently visited the Smoky Mountain National Park. Nice. And for our, my boys, our boys are eight and six and for them to see um, how people lived back in the 1860s, 1880s was important in in that part of the country versus in the 1880s here in, in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a different environment. Totally. Yeah. It's good to visit other places and understand the history of our country. And the park Mm -hmm. service does that so beautifully. It does. Explaining um, not just the bit large landscapes, but all the historical places on the East Coast. And yeah, they do a really, really excellent job of interpreting those things. Yes. Yes, indeed. And the your foundation, Grand Teton National Park Foundation, uh, raises money in another important way, other than just having walks and asking people for donations. Um, would you like to share... The, one of the other main vehicles that you all raise money in, in those retail outlets? That's actually not us. Oh my gosh. I am so sorry. That's okay. That's Grand Teton Association. And they do an excellent job um, selling products. And then the funding, the money that they receive from those books and other things goes back to the park. So they're a retail organization. Mm-hmm. And April Landell runs that. Um, and we're the foundation. There are organizations in the park friends group community that are combos. So they might be, you know, both things under one umbrella. But in this case, in Grand Teton, you know, we know how to raise money and April's really good at doing what she does. So keeping these two organizations separate makes sense in our mm-hmm. park. But there are organizations across the country who have um, the combo. My apologies for getting that incorrect. That's okay. A lot of people do. <laughs> well, now it's been clarified, so everybody knows the difference. Exactly. And you should yeah. you should um, meet April and get her to come on their podcast. Yes, I will. I will certainly work on that because what they do is quite remarkable as well and very yeah. impactful. Also, yeah, they do great stuff. They she has a great whatever she, the stuff she buys. I mean, in addition to the books, but all the cool um, items. I just you know I love it when they're open in the season and we can go in there and buy gifts. Yes. Yes, indeed. So Leslie, if people wanted to reach out to you and learn even a little bit more about your foundation to be able to give a donation, 
What's a great way for them to connect to you or some people on your staff? Yeah, well, they should check out our website because our um, we have a beautiful website and it really describes all the projects that we're doing at this time, whether it's youth or natural resource conservation or cultural resource protection, um, and then any of our big projects, uh, upcoming trail projects, et cetera. So uh, it's www.gtmpf.org. And certainly folks can reach out to me, which is just Leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E at gtmpf.org. Thank you. And I just want to say congratulations, 25 years and $84 million. Yeah. And you've been with the organization pretty, pretty much since day one. Well, 18, I've been there 18 years. 18 years. So the board um, for that or those early years really did it on their own to kind of get mm-hmm. all those plans ready for the visitor center. But yeah, I joined in 04 and I don't know what happened. The years just flew by. Hmm. Probably because you're having fun and you're enjoying it. Yeah, I think that's right. I love my job. I'm really lucky. Well, it it says a lot for for you, who you are, and the impact that you're making because it it is part of our community, that park. And uh, thank you for, for the impact that you're making to our community. Well, thanks. Thanks for asking me to participate in this. It's been fun. You're very welcome, Leslie. And um, look forward to seeing you around town. Yep, same. And have a great summer in the park. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. To learn more about Leslie Matson and the Grand Teton National Park Foundation, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 187. Thank you, everyone, who helped me keep this podcast on the air. My wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William, and the everlasting editor and marketing director, Michael Morey. Folks, if you want to start your own podcast, reach out to Michael because he is the man who can help you make it happen. I appreciate you sharing your time with me today. Cheers till next week when I see you here for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.